Welcome to Cooper Talk. I'm your host, Steve Cooper. And remember, I'm only as hip as my guests. Not to tell you something, people, I, I'm getting fed up with the LA traffic. This morning, I had to take the uh, lovely Joanne to the airport. She's going to Dallas to give a speech. And we left at 10 of 7. Now, I live in Burbank. It's 24 miles from my door to LAX. I left at 10 of 7. There should not be rush hour. I grew up back east. We had rush hour when it was like 8.30. I got home at 9.30. I had enough time to get in the door, take a shower, and I couldn't even shave and come to the studio. So I don't know, man. I just, this traffic in LA, I'm thinking I may have to move soon. And my guests, well, I know they live in Northern California. They're smart. And they one, one lives on a boat. She's smart. But uh, my guests are Kenny Bellucci and Tara Noah Smith. How you guys doing? Good. How are Great, you? Great. Thank you. Good. I'm glad you guys could make it. I uh, I was doing some background check. Very interesting. Now, I, I got to ask you, though, how did you end up living on a boat? Before we get into the whole book, how did you, because uh, now you live on a boat, too. So you guys are both, were you always a boat person growing up? Um, uh, I, yes, actually I was. My father had a, a power boat when we were younger and we used to go down to Balboa Island and spend time summers on the boat. And, and then when I was around 21, I got into sailing and, and, uh, learned to sail and just have been a boat person ever since. And we've been on and off boats all that time. And you just because you grew up with them and you just loved it or what, how'd that happen? Yeah. I spent the first four years of my life, uh, growing up on a boat in Sausalito. So I learned to walk on it and, um, it's uh I've always been had good balance, but I learned to walk rather late. Okay. With other babies. <laughs> so now now you guys you grew up in Los Angeles. Yeah. And now when you were younger, did you want to get into performing? Was that one of your dreams or did you write or what did you want to do when you were younger? No, it was not one of my dreams. I was a teacher. Okay. I, from the time I was uh, ten years old I wanted to be a teacher. So I, I was an elementary school teacher and um was basically doing that. Uh and then my daughter when she was about four or five Everybody said, oh, my gosh, she's so cute. She ought to be a model. So I just took a picture into the city, kind of an alark into San Francisco, and they took her right away. And so then, you know, she would do maybe four or five jobs a year. It wasn't any big thing. We'd put the money in the piggy bank. And, and then, uh, when Taryn was, uh, she was seven and Taryn was a baby, they asked if they, the agency asked if I wanted him to work. And I thought, you have work for babies? Right. And they said, yes, occasionally we do. And we just use brothers and sisters of the kids we already have. So I signed the card kind of in, in on a lark, and then two weeks later he was on the cover of Baby News Catalog, and that's kind of how it all started. Now, as a baby, I mean, do you have recollection of that? Because most babies, like, we have a recollection when we're, like, two, you know, but what would, do you remember being on, in, like, getting photographed? Because I think it's a very memorable moment. Uh, I don't, uh, all the way back then, I was, uh, I started when I was six months old. So, uh, but I mean, I, uh, it was just one of those things that I always did uh, growing up. Um, occasionally I would, you know, we'd leave school and I'd go do an audition in San Francisco and come back, uh, all, all up until I was seven. And that's when we, uh, got an LA agent for, a for one, for, for just a little while. And the third audition that I went on was Hope Improvement. Isn't that amazing? Cause I know you booked some commercials, so you, you know, that's how you, he was getting work. So you figured he has the juice and to get him to LA, which is just, I always laugh is like, cause it was a while ago, how hard it was to get an agent back then. I mean, you had to go through a book and all this stuff. Now it's like you go online, you see an agent listing, you send them something on an email, but now it was crazy. So were you trying to get him a lot of agencies to get him a good agency or to become pretty easy to you? Well, it was actually quite easy for us because he was already in an agency up in the city, you know, because of his sister. And, um, and then we, I was actually working, by that time I was a script supervisor and I was working on feature films and I was working on a film down here and he came to visit with his dad and the, the director said, oh my gosh, he's really, you, you should take him to LA and get an agent. And my mother lived here still, so I knew I, we had a place to stay. And she, he said, oh, you've got to go to Judy Savage. She's the best children's agency. And he, he had a connection. So I went in and I used his name and, and she said, oh yeah, come on in. And I brought him in and he met Judy and they went into another room and talked for a little while and I heard uproarious laughter going on. I had no idea what he was doing. Right. He was only six. And uh, she came out giggling and laughing and said, I want him. I want him. I want to take him. So it, it turned out we didn't have to have, go through the rejections and, you know, going on and on to other different agencies. But I try to tell parents that, you know, if you do get a rejection, just try to see if you can find out why and then um, move on, you know, use that experience and move to the next one and keep going, you know. Well, with your book, your book handles a lot about child getting acting. How would you say, I mean, how would you, as a parent, tell the, the child about rejection? Because, you know, it's, it's when you're a child, you're so fragile. And to get rejected, I mean, even as an adult, we, we're insecure and we, if we're in this business and we get, you know, depressed. How would, how, what advice would you give for a parent to tell their child when the child 
wants to get that role and she thinks she's perfect for that role, even though she may not be perfect for that role, what do you tell, what do you, what knowledge do you impair to them? Well, the first thing is we try, we always tried to make the auditions and everything around it um, just kind of a sideline. When every time we'd go to an audition, we'd do something else. Like we'd go in the city in San Francisco, we'd go to Golden Gate Park, or we'd go somewhere. To, to, so we try to tone down the whole kind of idea that you're, you're going in for this scary audition. You know, you're really doing an outing and we're just going to do this on the way. And then the other thing that I always, there was a wonderful agent who told us one time a great, great line, which was, it's selection, not rejection. And we would really try to make the child understand, our children understand that, um, you know, it, you may be a wonderful actor, but they want someone that looks a little different. Or, you know, a lot of times they would get down to my daughter, particularly they would get down to two people, a blonde and a brunette. Okay. And then it was who, which one's going to match the parents, you know, so you'd, um, you basically would say it's, re- it's selection, not rejection. And, you know, try to get them to understand that. And that was sort of our, our little motto. Okay. <laughs> now, Tyron, you said you got, you got home improvement on your third audition. Now, when you went in, I mean, cause you were younger, as you always hear, you know, older people go, Oh, I nailed that. You know, you hear, you always hear other time people go, did you win it? Did you think the audition went great or what was your perception as a seven-year-old? I mean, when you went in, you read, and did you think that you got the part? Uh, no, I didn't know if I got the part until the the last minute. And actually, it came down to one of those things where it was also a, a, a kid named Ross Malinger who was dark-haired, and they were just deciding on which mom to pick. And they picked a blonde mom first and then eventually replaced her with a dark-haired mom. So we were a little worried about on the set there for a minute. But... um. You know, I, I guess I knew it went well. There was actually seven auditions leading up to it. So, you know, there's callback after callback and eventually a screen test. And, uh, and that's where they just kind of, they got it down to maybe about four kids per part. And they start kind of mixing and matching and seeing where there's chemistry. So, I mean, each time you get a callback, you know that things are getting closer and closer and the, the numbers are, are coming down. But um, you never know. I mean, you can you can totally ace it and it just doesn't matter you still don't get the job because of you know lots of other factors that have nothing to do with your performance so, so now you get the part and do you have any idea what a home how big home i mean it's like anything you know you can see shows that have a great cast and you say this is going to go great and then all of a sudden it gets canceled you can see shows that, and tim wasn't that known i'd known i'd run into tim at the philadelphia comedy clubs and we knew he was about to blow up because it was just the precipice before he became really huge but you knew something was brewing and he had such a devout following so you but then to bring him, his devout following was a very hardcore, he was a dirty act, I mean, to be honest. And so you bring him into a family show. Did you have, and, I mean, did you think that it would just blow up? And how do you prepare yourself for that? I and mean, we'll talk about how you prepare yourself down the road after it starts. But you get the part. What do you guys think is going to happen? You shoot the pilot. Was it picked up right away or what happened? Well, first of all, when we signed the contract, you have to sign the contract when they go to that last audition. So you don't even know if you have the part yet and you're signing a seven-year contract. When we signed the contract, we didn't know anything. All we knew was one tiny little audition scene that he was doing with his dad. We didn't know who Tim Allen was. We didn't know anything about the show. And so we signed a seven-year contract. And it, that's actually kind of why I decided I wanted to write this book, because so many parents, us included, we go in completely unprepared, not knowing anything about the business, not knowing anything about what's going on. So um, we signed the contract, then he went to the audition where they, you know, the last audition, the screen test, and they picked him, and then they started the pilot, and I wasn't here, I was actually, as a script advisor, I was up north working on the Hand the Rocks of Cradle, so okay. my husband took him, and all I got, the feedback I got from my husband was, the pilot was unbelievably funny, it was just, everybody was laughing, everybody was, it was just, they were getting longer laughs than they could take, because, you know, the time thing. And the producers were going wild saying, this is going to go, this is going to go, this is going to go. So we had that. But, you know, it television is one of those things. It can go for, you know, a little while and then all of a sudden, oh, well, sorry, you know, you're canceled. <laughs> so Right. Especially back then when uh, when all they had was the Nielsen ratings, which are just wildly inaccurate and leave whole demographics out. You know, that's like the, the story of my so-called life getting canceled when was hugely popular. I'd say, yeah, the Nielsen's, and, and now it's like you can't take them serious because everyone DVRs everything. So you sit there, if they say, hey, did you watch, uh, like Sunday, I watched Ray Donovan at six, okay, at the East Coast. They go, did you watch Ray Donovan at nine? I'm going to say, no, I watched it at six. But for the Nielsen ratings, yeah. But now you guys, you, the first season you got picked up, were you, you, you immediately, you got pretty hot, right? The show got picked, got pretty uh, jumped, like top 10, I believe, in the first year. 
Yeah, they put us in a great time slot between Full House and Roseanne, so it was pretty easy to, to, to jump right out in there. Now, what is that like? You're seven years old. You're on a hit show. Yeah, I mean, and, you know, you can't, they, I mean, do they, they school you on set or what do they do? Um, yeah, we started out since we were all pretty young, just with one teacher for the three boys on the show. And as we got older and into high school, they changed that to three teachers so that we'd rotate. You know, one teacher would teach two or three subjects. And um, it, it's, a, it's a different education. It's in some ways great. We can, you know, especially when I was a couple years when um, I was technically homeschooled and going through a, you know, an accredited homeschool that was allowing those teachers to really just go as fast and as far as we could um, in, in, you know, the content of the edu- of what, what we're doing. It, uh, I, I was able to really, you know, really soar. But um, usually we were working with a, another school that I would go back to when we weren't working. So I would be sticking with the curriculum that, and the, the pacing that they were doing. Now, would you have to, have to be on set, or how does that work? I mean, and what was the certain times or that you had to be there, or one of the parents had to be there? How does that work with a child on a set? Yeah, there has to be a guardian on the set with the child at all times, and actually, supposedly, technically, in the child's vision. I mean, you have to be able to see the child. When they go to school, that's not the case, but they have to have three hours of school a day, and um, because they have certain laws, a certain number of hours per that the child can work depending on their age. So Taryn, because he was the youngest, he was only seven. The other two were nine. He had to be. He had to. He could be there one hour less than the kids. So they would. The other kids would come in at nine o'clock before we started rehearsing at ten and get an hour of school out of the way. So then they only had two hours during the day. Taryn couldn't do that, so he had to have three hours of school during the rehearsal time, which made it difficult. But um, yeah. So parent has to be there, and if you can't do it, then you have to get a guardian. Somebody has to be there. And of course, he was only seven. There was no way I was going to get a guardian to right. do that. So I stayed with him and gave up my career to stay with him. And then if you do that and become the child's, you're like the child's manager, then you can take 15% of of what he makes as your manager fee. So I was there the whole time. And in the schooling, they have to, by law, be in, enrolled in a, another school. The, the teachers on the set are basically just tutors. You have to be enrolled enrolled in an in an official school. So we he had normal schooling, and then he would uh, we do three weeks on, one week off, and on the week off he would go back to his regular school. And um, we basically had um, uh, during junior high we decided that. That's such a difficult age, and everybody wants to be exactly the same as everyone else. We knew there's no way he could do that, so we put him in. We we did homeschool during those two years. Now, yeah. homeschooling, you know, for I always think, you know, if if you're in living in the middle of nowhere, you know, people homeschool, and you don't really get the social interaction. And a lot of times, I think homeschool doesn't give social interaction. But for you, it must have been great because you were constantly around social interaction, being on set. I mean, you must your head must have been spinning because there's always so much stuff going on. So it's probably a big relief when you homeschool, just because it was just getting away i mean you got to pull off the set was that great for you or did you want to go to a regular school or what What was your feelings you know i i uh did really enjoy the interaction with you know all the people on the, the crew the cast um almost entirely adults though uh so a little right. different um but in some ways i kind of inadvertently got the experience of being raised by a village you know we had all these you know whole widespread diverse group of people that were kind of taking an interest in my childhood um but i did like going back to school sometimes it, it was uh hard though especially in high school because i wasn't there so much i had really no idea like who's dating who and what's what's going on i learned to just always like don't ever talk any trash about anybody because you never know exactly <laughs> what's going on <laughs> but uh um you know i got to you know do a lot of other stuff outside of home improvement and school you know traveling and and going you know especially doing public appearances and um charity work and stuff all over the state so uh you know really got to experience a lot that way i want to get back to the book i just want to know, when did you become a vegan i know you started a vegan food company have you have, what made you become a vegan because it, it's it's so healthy i'm not I, I i just i love certain things i mean i, I have to watch what i eat but when did you become, did you start doing that on the set? Because the craft services are so good. I mean, you can't be a vegan. Uh, well, when actually, I went vegetarian on my own when I was very young, like around nine or 10, just for about a month or so, because I, I it actually had an experience hanging out with some cows the first time. I mean, I grew up on a boat. We don't have too many cows right. <laughs> out there. But uh, 
um, you know, I'd grown up with dogs and I got to, you know, hang out with these cows for a little while and they just seemed like big, sweet dogs to me and I didn't want to eat them anymore. Um, my parents figured it out after a little while and were worried about not getting enough protein and nutrition and really didn't want me to do it until I was full grown. So, um, I didn't eat red meat for a long time and, and, uh, eventually just got back into, you know, eating hamburgers until I was about 16 and met someone who was a vegan chef and made it really easy to learn all the different substitutions and different products you can do. And by that time I was, well, I'm 16. I'm, you know, sits too. I can, uh, right. I can eat what I want now. <laughs> so and I've been vegan ever since. So. Now as a stardom, as a show starts blowing up and I'm sure you address this in the book, how, how does, how does as a parent, how do you keep your son grounded? Because you guys were superstars. I used to wait tables at Planet Hollywood in Beverly Hills. I mean, and before that was in San Diego. And Jonathan Taylor Thomas came to the store one time, you know, and there was a line, like, you would have thought the Beatles were there. I mean, you guys, everyone knew you. I mean, how does how does a parent, could, you know, get their child ready for that? Because it's a, it's a feeling that not that many people are going to feel in their lifetimes. I mean, how, do you, how did you address him? How did you keep him grounded? Well, actually, that's the reason I wrote the book. The book is called Stardom Happens, Nurturing Your Child in the Entertainment Business. And the whole idea of the book is to talk to parents about doing that, nurturing your child through the whole thing so that they do stay normal and as normal as possible, uh, at least. Um, and what we did with Taryn, we really tried to keep him connected to the other world. You know, we had let him bring his friends to the set anytime he wanted, particularly in the summer when they, they don't have school and there's not much to do. So we let him bring friends. We encouraged him to bring friends to this that were not part of the business. We encouraged him to do other activities. He was um, learned fencing. He was in roller hockey. And, you know, with it, nobody else was a star on that. You know, they were all normal kids on the roller hockey team. We um, made sure at home that, you know, he took out the trash and cleaned his room and did all the same, era, you know, things that other kids have to do. Um, and I even actually just to keep him aware of the finances, I actually have him help me pay the bills when he got older and sit down and, you know, write out the checks and learn how to do that and see where all the money is going. And just as, just try to keep him connected to the real world as much as possible. And, you know, we also, sometimes the, 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 the people on the set, they would say, oh, he's so mature for age, his age. And I'd say, no, 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 don't say that. Don't say that. You know, let's just not go there. Let, you know, it may be true, but we don't need to keep saying that to him. You know, we don't want him to get a big head. And so when the show was over, we were kind of, you know, the, the parents came, some of the crew came to us actually and said, wow, he's so normal. He's so down to earth. I don't know what you did, but you guys are great parents, you know, because he's just, he, you know, he really has not gone to his head at all. So that was that was basically what we tried to do. And in the book, I, I go through some of the stuff that to help parents, you know, and same like with auditions, with everything, just keeping them as grounded as you can all the way through. But how would you, some of the stuff you go through, how would you help? Because I know, I mean, as you said, you know, the show, the show is a big hit. I mean, you must have been, would you get swarmed when you would go out? I mean, would you, you probably got recognized a lot and you're a cute kid and you know, you're a good looking guy. You've grown a lot. I mean, you know, but, <laughs> but did you, did you get, I mean, did people just swarm you? I mean, I mean, how is it for you? going out in public because you are, you know, I'm sure you had all these little girls going, Oh my God, there he is. I mean, how does that, how do you deal with that as a, as a kid? I mean, it would be hard enough as an adult, but how would you deal with that? Well, there was a few instances whenever there was, um, a large group, especially like around amusement park or something like that. And that's when it can kind of get scary because you have a real mob mentality. You know, once one person figures it out and is loud about it, then it spreads to a whole large group. Um, Normally, day in, day out in L.A., if people recognize you, they usually don't even say anything. You don't even aren't even aware of it most of the time because people are just so used to actors here. So, I mean, it was only when we would travel um, often to go and do autograph signings in different places and you know, where the show was much more popular in the Midwest and and you know all over the all over the country. So, um, you know, we never really had anything too scary. There was like a one point in a, in Disney World where there was like a wall of people running behind me and we kind of luckily we had a one of the disney kind of employee guides to help us get in and out of a ride and get out of the park real fast because it kind of spread like wildfire but um most of the time you don't really deal with that most of the time people are just very polite and excited and they want to take a picture and you just you know you let it happen I, it baffled me when i was a kid it still kind of does but you know i've always tried to tell people that like you know you're an electrician you're a plumber 
your teacher are far more important to you than the people in in the TV. But because <laughs> without electricity, you can't watch the TV because your electricity's off. Yep. Um, but you know, uh, people get excited, and you know what my parents always told me is like, well, just use it as an opportunity to you know spread joy and and make sure that you know. Um, even if you don't understand it, they obviously are very happy by it. So, you know, share it. <laughs> now, how would you handle it? I mean, as, as a mother, you know, you, you love your child and you see droves of people chasing him and it's not like, and you know, they're not, you know, he's not going to get harmed, but you know, he's, there's going to be, you know, and you know, we've all grew up and we saw the Beatles and we saw that kind of stuff. How as a mother, how would you, how would you handle it? Would you worry sometimes like, well, what if he just gets swept away in an audience? I mean, with a crowd, I mean, how would you control that? Cause it must be a very hard thing. It's also another thing that a lot of parents don't have to worry about that. I mean, if a kid gets a hit in little league, you know, Oh wow. You know, 15 people, but here when there's, he's at Disneyland, there's kids chasing him. How do you prepare yourself for that? Because there must be a concern being a worrying parent. Yes, there was a concern, but it, we were, as Sharon said, we weren't in that situation too often. Um, most of the time it would just be maybe 10, 15 kids that would come up and realize, because we, we weren't in big group situations. We did um, have a few uh, appearances because they would always have security and the line would, would go out the door and around the corner. And, um, so they would have security watching the line and stuff. We, we had one one appearance where the security broke down and we had kids running after him. He was with a couple of other people and they were they jumped in a van and they were actually trying to push, push the van over. Um, and so... Um, that was a little scary because I, I didn't even know first where he was. And then I realized he was in the van and I saw these people shoving the van and trying to knock it over. And that, that was very frightening. But most of the time it would be like we'd go, we'd take him maybe rollerblading and it would, you know, he would circle around for a little while for five, ten minutes. And then somebody would say, oh, wait a minute, isn't that, is that the kid from home? Is that Terry? And then people would start telling other people and telling other people and pretty soon he'd have 15 or 20 kids running up and asking him questions and like like you said we just told them to be happy and polite and sign autographs and smile and give the kids joy and and it really wasn't very you know scary that often so um we basically just wanted him to get the, the joy and give the joy to the other people when, when the first time i remember that he actually got asked for an autograph he was only seven and he didn't know what that was he said what does he want mom and i said he wants you to put your name on a piece of paper and he's looking at me like what so he's you know he's only seven he's making these little a b you know t a and uh then basically you know handed it to him and sort of looked at me like, I don't understand this, and why is this making this person so happy? Right. So we had to, you know, describe the whole thing to him and make him understand that having your name on a piece of paper was important people to people. like that. <laughs> yeah. now, now, the show went on for seven or eight years? Uh, eight years. Okay. So now, as you're doing it, and you start off at a young age, and we, we all are interests vary, and I'm sure you address this in the book, how you probably keep your child focused, because is there any time where you, you were getting bored with the show? I mean, in the middle, did you sit there and sometimes and go, Hey, you know what? Yeah, I did this. It's great, but you know, I might want to do something else. I mean, and it's weird because we're 12 and 13. We don't really know what we want to do with our lives. But did you ever go through it where you'd sat there and you just were wanted to just say, you know what? I, I wish the show would end. No, I I really enjoyed the process of it, so I never really wanted it to end in that way. Um, uh, there was a time, sort of a lull for me, um, when you know. I started out the dynamics of me and the other two boys is that I was the youngest one, and they would pick on me. Um, and it was cute. And then I, we all, the show just kept going and I grew bigger than both of them. And that dynamic didn't really work anymore. (laughs) So there was a kind of a two year lull or so where the producers didn't really, the writers didn't really have much for my character to do. They didn't really take in any direction. And we made a bunch of suggestions, um, between seasons and, uh, none of those were taken, but that's when they, for the seventh season, they made my character go Gothic instead no that was not our suggestion but um i found out later that i, I ran into the, the the main writer producer's son who was about a year younger than me i, I opened up the door backstage and came face to face with him who was not in wardrobe and was dressed like me in wardrobe <laughs> 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 and we had this very awkward moment of looking like i'm the way your dad is dealing with you <laughs> and you are the reason why i'm dressed like this but uh and, and then we passed each other but um after that, they, uh, you know, I, I, I enjoyed the process, but after the show ended, it had been something I had, you know, been doing all my life, and I was kind of excited to try other things and 
and you know dive into other worlds uh, beyond that. That's why I haven't gone back to the acting business. Not because I didn't enjoy it. I just you know was ready to kind of for a career change. Now I guess you were shaking your head with the gothic. Was that something you? I mean, as well, first of all, because you had you had script, script supervising background, so you have somewhat of a writing, and you wrote a book, so it's it's in your blood. Um, did you ever get to give story suggestions, seeing that it was your son? Did, I mean, not sit in the writer's room, but did you get to sit there and go, you know what? Did were they open to you saying, you know what, this might be a good direction for him to go because I know him better than any of you? And did you ever get that chance? Yes, we did. Actually, the, for a while there, the, the original producers before we switched, um, they were asking us for ideas. They said, you know, give us any, you know, during the summers, particularly the hiatus, they would say, is there anything that your child's into that you'd like to see, you know, have happen? Give us ideas because, you know, you run out of ideas pretty quick. So we did quite a few suggestions that they actually used. We, I said, you know, Taryn was taking karate. So we, we suggested that, and they had Mark, you know, in the in the show, actually learning karate. Taryn's father built an airplane, and Taryn actually was learning how to fly and getting flying lessons at a very young age. He was only 12, and we mentioned that. So they had a whole episode of Mark wanting to learn to fly and the mother being worried about it and everything. And that, so they were going to actually move a lot farther with that. And then right at that time, though, there was a little girl who was flying across the United States and uh, supposed to be the youngest one to ever fly, and she crashed. And I remember we were in New York at the time, and they wanted that we got all these phone calls. They wanted Taryn to go on these TV shows, talk shows, to talk about this as a child who was into flying. And Disney called us and said, "Do not, we will not let you do that." So we couldn't go on these shows. But after that, all the flying episodes went out the window. That they that was the end of that. They didn't do that anymore. But we did many suggestions that they actually used. Um, which was nice to say. And then what they did is they moved Mark out of the Gothic because I was really upset with the Gothic. Why were you upset? Well, we were getting really weird fan mail. I mean, people were upset and we were getting fan mail. He was getting threats from people saying, you know, how can you do this and how can you be like this? And they thought that he personally, Terrence Smith, was Gothic. You know, fans don't get the idea that you're just playing a character. So it was getting scary, and we went to the producers and said, we don't like this, and they've actually finally stopped it at that time. And what they did is they moved him into filmmaking, and that's what Taryn actually was getting into at the time was filmmaking on his own, and I mentioned it so they had Mark become a filmmaker, and they had him doing a lot of different shows as as a filmmaker at the end, which was great. So we, we we did give him a lot of suggestions. Now, you said about the fan mail. I know you addressed that in your book, the fan mail. Um... What is it now? It's different because it's email more. But with fan mail, I mean, how do you? I guess you would have to go through it. I mean, because I mean, how many? Okay, from season let's say one and two, I'm sure it picked up throughout uh, the run of the series. What was the most like the most amount of fan mail you would get in a week? And in the peak of the show's popularity, was it like thousands or how would? And how did people they would send it to the show? I guess right. Yes, and and it was probably five hundred to a thousand you know pieces and we would um try to read them all and i would pull out the ones that were not appropriate and throw them away would you get would you get just some i mean just yeah. nasty which i never understand it. i never understand it. it's especially now on twitter when people sit there and they tweet mean things to people and jimmy kimmel does that great bit about that but i, I never understood that it's like why are you going to take the time to write something awful just take time to write something positive well what we got which is addressed in the book is there are there are creepy people out there there are pedophiles that are actually out there that are preying on these children and because they're in the, the spotlight and they're you know it, it just gives them a real big target and so a lot of the fan mail that we got was definitely from that aspect and we would just throw those away of course and then i'd give them the ones that were sweet and cute and let him read those and what we did is we had a postcard and um we set it up in the first first two years. It was all three kids on one postcard, and then each kid had a little uh, blurb that they we had printed on the back, a little sentence from each ch- child, and then they would just sign it, and send, we'd send that out. And then as, as the years went by and the kids started developing different personalities, we said of the Home Improvement Boys, they were individuals, so we had our own individual postcard. And every now and then, if there was something really special, Taryn would actually write a little letter back. But most of the time, he would just sign the postcard, and we'd send him out. And, you know, the child who wrote the letter would get a, a picture of him and a little, you know, printed thing on the back. So that was kind of nice. But, yeah, we, we had to, you know, be aware of that. And that was something that when we first got into this business, I was not aware of. I had no idea that there were creepy people out there, right. you know. 
and uh, and you know we, we, we became aware of it actually um, the first year we were down in Santa Monica and he, and he was in a, you know on the promenade and he was in a store you know maybe 20 feet from me and a man grabbed my arm and turned turned me around he said I need to talk with you and I'm like and he said I work for the FBI and I want you to know that the three boys on home improvement are are the main targets for the pedophiles and this, you know, and the internet. And he said, don't ever leave them out of your sight. And I was like, what? I didn't even know what he was talking about. Right. I was like, the what? You know, I mean, I was pretty naive and I figured it out quite quickly, but yeah. So then, you know, we had to make sure that, you know, as he was growing up, that there was always somebody close by him and, you know, he wasn't, he didn't, we never explained why, but he didn't understand sometimes, but we always had somebody, he couldn't just walk down to the grocery store, you know, on his own. We'd always have someone with him. Now, what would you suggest for if a child is in that situation? Okay, how does the parent explain it to the child? Is it? I mean, it's something that you know other kids can walk down the street. I mean, as a mother of a child star, how would you explain that to people who wanted their kids, who want their kids in a business? In in fact, if they do become a star, how would you explain them? How you explain that to the child? Well. We didn't. We didn't in the beginning. We didn't go into the. I mean, he was only seven, so we didn't go into the details. We just said, well, you know, when you're, this is one of the things that you have to kind of, you know, live with, you know, because you get all these other wonderful things that you get to do. So it's just important that we have somebody with you. And then as a child got older, as he got older, eventually we were able to explain why. But you know, just said there are are unusual people that you know might want to grab you and you know i mean but it's the way you same way you explain to any child you know nowadays they're not nobody really lets their kid go wandering off alone anymore anyway so it's the same way you'd explain it to any child really and we just uh in the beginning we just said oh well we're gonna go with you or so-and-so's gonna go with you and you know just let it be that the same way you would do with a regular kid now when the show ended after all those years and now i mean for both of you, it was a full-time job. I mean, for you, you were in front of the camera. For you, I mean, you had to be on set, and even still, because he wasn't 18 when it ended, so you had to be on set. And it was, I'm sure it was a very big chunk of your life. We had talked a little before about the call. You know, you get calls. Back then, you probably get calls, and this and that. You're, you're always on the go. So when, the, when it first ends, okay, the, the show's done, how do you prepare someone, and how do you also, how do you sit there and get ready for let's say the second stage of your life. Cause as we said, you know, it's eight years at that point, it's half your life. I mean, it sounds weird now it's, but it's like, it's half your life. You're seven, you know, and you, it's a chunk. It's what you've known for the last eight years because you've had to be on set. You've been, you know, you gave up your script supervising career. You've helped out. You've gotten to be treated nice and give suggestions. I mean, very cool stuff. I mean, so, so when that ends, how do you, how do you, go to the next, that take that step. I mean, I'm sure people, parents want to know that if their child does get a break or if their child doesn't want to be in the business anymore, how do you get to the next step? What do you, what do you decide to do? Well, I did address that in the book because that is something that's very important. And, and the first thing you've got to do is realize if this child doesn't want to do this or if it's going to be over, it's, you know, you have to let the child know it's okay. And it's whatever they want to do, it's okay to not want to do this anymore and to do something else. And that, you know, they are loved for whoever they are, not for what the, it is that they are doing. And so make sure that they understand that. And then what we did with Taryn, we, we, um, there, was a, there was a debate about whether or not it was going to end. There was a possibility it might go on for another year. And there was a lot of negotiation going on with the adults. And, and uh, we just decided, my husband and I decided to just assume that it will end and tar- start getting Taryn prepared for the fact that it's going to end. And just telling them, okay, this is going to be the end of this. We're going to be moving on to something else. What would you like to do? You know, what, where do you see yourself going? And letting him, you know, just he's 15 at this point. And so we're just talking about, you know, what other options he might have and really getting him prepared. And I'm actually really glad we did that because um, the, some of the other actors didn't prepare. And they were pretty shocked when that last day, when that final episode showed up. And it was said final script, that final episode. It was, you know, it put them through a lot of shock. And we were already prepared for it, but uh, you've got to just, you know, basically let them know it's okay, and then and then start, you know, directing them into other activities that they can do. And and if you're doing that all along, you know, having them have other outside activities, it's not as hard. If they have, if they are only secluded into only acting and nothing else, then it does make it hard. But he was doing all these other activities and making filmmaking and he got into music and he had a whole studio in his room and he was recording music for friends. So that was something option that he was could jump into. 
plus there was college looming. He was applying for college, and you know there was just a lot of other activities. And you just have to keep that, and you know, let them let them start exploring new things. Yeah. So as you said, you got out, of, you, but you still kept the creative process with the music and the filmmaking. What drew you to filmmaking? Was it just something? I mean, you were watching. I'm sure being around the set, you know, you're probably very precocious and watching everything going on. Did, is that one of the reasons it drew you to you, the filmmaking? Did you sit there and go, I can do this too? Um, yeah, exactly. I mean, you're, you're learning the whole, all the different processes, you know, especially I was always inquisitive and wanting to, to ask and, and usually help out. But the first, that's against union rules. They definitely don't, the drips don't want the, the child actors <laughs> helping them out. <laughs> but, uh, uh, you know, I, it's actually what I thought I wanted to do. And I went to USC um, when I was 16 and for filmmaking and then eventually left because at that point, the industry was changing a lot, you know, with digital video and the price of entry, being able to shoot something and, and make, make it interesting and spread it around the internet real fast, you know, was, was kind of changing the, the kind of the old way of going about things. Um, but overall, I've you know, just moved away from it. I mean, I'm still sort of uh, in the arts entertainment in some ways. Uh, I, I uh, am an installation artist. I build uh, large structures and, and art at festivals and museums. And are, you, are you going to Burning Man? I'm going to Burning Man. Okay. Yeah, I, I've right. never been there. I just I, there's no showers. I, I mean, I've I've been to Reggae in the River, but Burning Man. So so you build that stuff. Well, actually, one year I built a whole bunch of showers. Oh really? <laughs> uh, yeah, I was doing a back end like the infrastructure for a large camp, like about 400 people plus sound camp. So we did a I set up the kitchen and and showers and did all the plumbing and stuff for it. But um, usually I like to build you know uh, real art pieces that people can explore. Or actually, I have a a piece coming up. Um, uh, I built a floating art gallery, so it floats on water. It won't be going to Burning Man since there's no water, but uh, I'm going to a festival after it called Symbiosis. But it's a uh, it's called the Fairweather Gallery. Now, when as I said, when you when you left, now how did you adjust for you? I mean, because you personally, your whole life is changing because that's as we said, that's what you knew. And I know you started speaking, and this is why you wrote the book. But do you address that in your book how the parent? translates or, or is that a second book that's going to come out that we don't know about no i address that i i mentioned to parents all along that while you're there you know you're sitting on the set to to try to realize that this is going to end and this is not going to be your only only life so you know to do other things you know get into real estate or to, you know just find other things that you can do use the internet to learn stuff and and you know, have a life of your own outside of this because it is going to end and with me, it was easy because I, I was a substitute teacher once I was a regular teacher until my daughter was born, and then I became a substitute teacher, and I was a script supervisor, so I could jump back into both of those businesses easily. I was, it was a little harder with script supervisor because I lost 10 years, and I had to you know, come back in and you know, start where I was 10 years ago, but it was okay. I, I worked it out, and I was able to get a lot of jobs, and, and so for me, it wasn't wasn't too difficult. I just went back to doing, you know, substitute teaching and script revising. But um, it it does, like we were mentioning, uh, it it does. It's funny growing up in this business. You you are kind of and Taryn notices it too that you you're in this world where the phone rings and you go, and this this option this this world is you're always kind of aware of that that, you know, you're you're when you're uh, they call you and they say can you go to this public appearance can you go to he got to go to 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 um, washington dc and give a speech on the white house steps he, he got to go to a big uh, festival and fly the budweiser blimp and i mean there were all these different things that you got to do and so all that excitement of when that phone rings and you get to go somewhere is 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 something that sort of dissipates and you sort of lose that and, and it's hard to deal with that when you're so used to that excitement but if you just basically be sure that you have other things going on while this is happening and don't make it your only career that, you know, cause it is going to end. Now, how would you both have handled social media if it was around at that popularity? Cause that's, that's a quite a, a big difference. I mean, now it's, you know, for me, if I started the show back then, I would have no guests because I can get guests. I can find out, you know, a Facebook, I can send them a query letter. I can tweet someone. I can, you know, I sent Andy a letter. I mean, so how did you, I mean, what do you suggest for parents now with the onslaught of social media? And it's a lot different where the one fam, where you got how many fan mails now you can get, I mean, you, I'm sure your Facebook account would just be backed up with people sending things. How do you think, how would parents handle that? And should they be on top of it? And how do you be on top of so many, you know, cause most parents, I mean, you know, I mean, we don't, we, we didn't grow up with social media. We don't, we don't really know what social media is. I sit there. I'm like, you know, you sit there. I didn't even know there was another 
other box on Facebook that I was missing messages to. How would you suggest parents take care of that? And how did get, because kids are now so into social media and kids are so much in book, in computer stuff, they're so much smarter than we were. And so how would you suggest that a parent takes care of that? Because the kid can run circles around you and probably lock you out of an account. And how would you deal with it when you were younger? Would you have any idea how to deal with social media? Well, we didn't okay. We didn't have social media by that time. You know, uh, the show was over um, right. before that. I mean, uh, I can suggest, because my mom is still somewhat new to Facebook. <laughs> but uh, I was going to say, I would hire somebody yeah, well, as I mean, a parent. I'd hire somebody because, you know, most parents are like, well, I'm actually older, where I'm a grandmother now, but most most parents are not as savvy right. as their kids. So I would suggest hiring a publicist or somebody that could help you who is very aware of it and can keep up and watch what's kids doing. And, you know, uh, I mean, you have to. You have to have someone manage uh, your social media account if you're that famous. You know, you can't, you just don't have a time in the day to do it yourself. I mean, um, all, you know, almost every celebrity has a, a specific social media person uh, that helps them with it. So, um, you know, but of course, yeah, you know, as a celebrity, you can if you want to have an anonymity, you can do that. You can you know have a different name and just be with your friends uh, on that. Um, you know, I've made it a policy to only uh, uh, you know allow people I've actually met on my Facebook. I, I don't. I get still fans that come through, and you know, if I don't have mutual friends, I've never met them. I still, I don't. You know, I keep it try to personal, but you know, it's it's been a. I'm not you know a a, a growing celebrity like uh, the people right now, so. Now, on your website, stardomhappens.com, I'm looking through your little pinpoints, and one is that should you help with charities? What is what? Why did that come up, and why did you write about that? Well, because as a celebrity, you get inundated with people who want you to help, and so I wanted parents to understand that, that that's going to happen and the, the best way to deal with it. And so the first thing I felt like telling them is that you need to search out, research the charity that's asking you to help and make sure that they're legitimate and that they are something that you want to get involved with. Because once you get involved, you're going to keep getting involved. And um, then once you decide you want to help, um, make sure that what they're asking you, your child to do is something that they can do. Because sometimes we ran into a couple of situations like that. And one was for the, I think it was for the Special Olympics and there was a ski a ski trip and and we and they were going to do this sort of racing team thing and we thought that would be fun we got up there and realized that the course that they had set up was way beyond Taryn's ability to ski and it was like oh no so he kind of went it his way down but you know and luckily they were able to each team was able to throw the way the highest and the lowest score so their team still won but it was you know it was something that we didn't realize until we got there that it was not something that he could have actually nearly done well so you really have to research the charity and then research what it is that they want your child to do. And then um, and then basically how to negotiate what what it is that you want. Most charities are not going to pay you, but you want to be sure that the child has a, you know, a place to rest and some, you know, adequate, you know, food and drink and, you know, just some other things that you need to that you oftentimes aren't going to think about when you're saying, oh, yeah, we'll help the charity. But you definitely still have to make sure that they are taken well care of, you know, even though you're not going to get paid. We ended up with a lot of, you know, really wonderful charities. We did things for Habitats for Humanity. We got to actually have lunch with President Carter and his wife, just the four of us, which was really special. And um, Taryn did that. And then we did the D.A.R.E. program and we did Special Olympics. Can you think of what we did? Um, Make-A-Wish Foundation. Oh, yeah. and um, Make-A-Wish is great. My yeah. girlfriend volunteers for that. And it's amazing. She did an event with Bieber. And it was just, it was amazing how he was great. And it just, it makes so many kids' lives, especially they're young and for when you were younger and you were a star, it really, it's really a, such a great charity. Yeah. We'd have a, a lot of times so it would bring, bring kids onto the set and so we'd all get to meet them or her. Um, yeah, there was tons of recording artists against driving, uh, which was expanded to actors and athletes too. Um, and, and, um, uh, Starlight, which is, which is similar to make a wish. We did that for them when the make a wish would come, they would, like he said, they would come to the set and it was, it was really, it was a beautiful experience and also such a sad experience right. because a lot of times you realize this was the last thing this job was going to be doing and it was always so heartwarming. And when um, one of the things that when that Oklahoma City bombing happened, um, a, a, an organization called and asked us if we would go with a bunch of celebrities and go over there and just meet the people, meet the firefighters and the people that were working. And we said, sure, and, and there were going to be a bunch of kids and they were going to pay for our way, you know, the flight and the hotel. And then they called up and they said, 
well, actually, we can't pay for the hotel, the flight, you know, so you're going to have to pay for your own flight. And all the other kids, because it was a child and a parent, have dropped out. And I went to Taryn and I said, we're going to have to pay our own flight. What do you want to do? And I told him that all the other kids had dropped out. And I was so proud of him. He was 11. And he said, Mom, we've made this commitment. I think we need to do it. We need to go. So we went and it was it was one of the most moving experiences and there was no publicity. It wasn't a big thing for publicity. It was just go and help these people who had been through such a horrible experience. So there were a lot of wonderful things we got to do and uh, all the way through the whole home improvement experience was, you know, every every year we got, we were doing wonderful things. We just Well, he seemed he seemed very grounded. I mean, you know, being that you 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 were you were a rock star among the Tiger Beat kids. I mean, you're a huge star. I mean, let's be honest. Now, how would you suggest keeping someone grounded and not getting their head too big? Because as you know, kids. You know, I always say kids are jerks. I, I love kids, but I'm saying like the kids can be jerky. I mean, you know, it's like anything. But how do you keep a kid because they know they're if they're somewhat special because you're talented, and if you're talented, you have a special. It's like anything if it's acting or an athlete. I mean, how do you keep, how did you stay grounded as a kid and how well, did you, how, what suggestions did you get? You know, they, they reminded me every day and I, I still remind myself, you know, it's so much of it is just comes down to luck. And, you know, there was 700 kids that they were interviewing for the, the parts of on home improvement, you know, I'm sure all of them talented in lots of different ways. It doesn't mean that I, I that I was, you know, special or better. It just, it just happened to be in the right place at the right time. And I've you know tried to continue that uh, in my in my life all the time, just just constantly re- reminding myself how lucky I am to have been able to live this life and and do what I still get to do, which is you know it, it really isn't anything because of who I am. It's mostly just you know, luck of the draw, and that's the the main thing to remember, you know. And I try to you know whatever that luck comes to me, I try to share it as much as I possibly can. And, and that's been, you know, a, a wonderful journey so far. What would your suggestion? Because also, because now it seems like now, you know, I watch these different, I flip around on TV and there's always crappy reality shows on. Now it's like the age of diva. I mean, you know, that's something that wasn't around. Like, you know, you see all these shows like dance moms and all this stuff. And the kids are like divas now. They're all, they're cocky little kids. How does a parent combat that? And because, you want to give your kid the life they want, but then you have to cut the line. I mean, how? What would your suggestions be? Well, my suggestion was the same as what Taryn was said. We we started from the very very beginning saying how lucky he was, and just kept saying, "We are so lucky. You are so lucky. We are all so lucky. Wow, what an experience! This is amazing. We're so lucky." And just kept that going. And we not just because we, you know we felt we had to, but because we really felt it. We really honestly felt that this was amazing. And we we saw other actors who were just like demanding this and that and you know thinking that they were so great and and it it was like what how can you feel that way i mean we just felt like wow here we were completely out of the blue i mean we we're not expecting it we were not even going for it we came down with the idea that he might get a commercial and suddenly he's on this number one tv series and it's so we felt it we felt lucky the whole way through and we just kept that mantra and 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 the other option the other thing was giving back we felt like any opportunity we could give just even when you sign an autograph you're giving joy when you're going out to do a charity when you're doing an appearance you're giving back to people and even doing the show my husband used to say it's amazing just think how many thousands of people are laughing right now i mean we're making all these people right. laugh you know and that's that's such a joy and i think it's neat because it has definitely expanded in Taryn's life after the show. And he has been a person who's gone out and done whatever he could to help people. And the, he just got back from six months in the Philippines. He was working in Tacloban and it was a city that was completely wiped out by one of the, the biggest, actually the biggest torn, uh, um, typhoon ever recorded. And with a 21 foot wall of water, you know, the water surge. So, he spent six months there with an organization called Communitaire, and they were making a, a maker space, a big warehouse with bringing in tools and teaching the people how to use the tools and then lending the tools out for them. And um, he can tell you more, but he, he was, he just did that for six months. And now it looks like they may be going to Nepal <clears throat> to do the same thing. And uh, this is, this is somebody that I just, I'm so proud of him and I'm so proud of what he got out of this whole experience, which was he was lucky and give back. Now, now, what made you decide to write the book? I mean, it was, it's come out 
after your career, because you've left, I know you started a restaurant in the meantime. Now it's a, a, a vegan, vegan and cheese. Yeah, you know, that's yeah, you know, <laughs> which is cool. I, I gotta try. I, I've had some vegan food and it's good. But what made you finally decide to write this book? Because it was just of years you sat there and said, you know what, we need to hear this. Or I mean, because you could have written it, wrote it ten years ago. But what made you decide to write it now? And was there a certain epiphany you had that said, I have to write this? Well, yeah, I think I could have, but it 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 was other things I was doing. You know, I was continuing to raise him and then you know I'm, I'm being a grandmother and all this stuff but recently I don't know I just I just saw so many people so many young kids that were getting into problems and it just seemed like cranking out one after another where these kids are into drugs and they're into you know just bizarre stuff and I just thought okay something has got to be said you know in some way we've got to help these kids not have this happen and and also with all of the expansion of the, uh, all the reality TV with, with, you know, America's Got Talent and all this stuff, you know, we're, we're getting like, you know, the five-year-old opera singer and the, you know, six-year-old golfer. And it just, there's so many more ways now with the YouTube and everything else for, for children to suddenly become famous and stardom happens. I mean, it's suddenly they're in this, this world. And I thought, okay, we went in so naive. I want to help people not do that. I want to help people go in a lot more prepared so they can help their kids, you know, and so when you started writing process, did you just sit there? Did you write like a little outline and say, okay, I have to address this? Because there's so much to address because there's so much stuff that, and you're right, people aren't going to know. I mean, even adults don't know what they can, you know, what's going to happen if they become a star. Did you just sit there and did you, did you guys, you know, talk to each other about it or did you, did you consult with him at all? Like what, did, and his input or was it just all you? Well, I made an outline and I started thinking about, you know, first, the, the first part of the book is all about getting into the business and how, you know, t- helping parents learn, you know, how do you find an agent? How do you get your, you know, get really good photographs made where it really shows their personality and, and how do you survive auditions? And then the second part was, you know, okay, once your child gets a job, you know, that first moment where you get that first call, oh my God, my God, he's got a job. What's going to happen now? So it was just thought a whole thing of the Coogan accounts and the work permit and what to expect when you walk on the set for the first time. And, you know, all of those things that parents don't know. And, you know, you suddenly you're in that world and you, oh my gosh, what's going on? Why am we, why are we waiting for three hours? They called me three hours ago. Why is it taking so long? And all of those things. And then the la- the second, the third part, which was once your kid becomes a star, how do you deal with all of the things we've just been discussing with fans and charities and appearances and producers and all of that stuff and financial matters and stuff. So I just made the outline first and then I started just writing and then I approached Tara and I said, do you want to put comments in? And I was really pleased that he said yes, because that really helped, you know, it was, it's been really great working together with him and, you know, he just threw comments in as we were going along and, you know, made it, made it just actually special. So now would you ever think of getting back into acting or is that just a pass to write it off? I mean, do you ever miss it? Because it is, I mean, I know you're doing such great work now and you have your sailing, which must be so relaxing and just fulfilling, but would you ever think of getting back into acting? Or is there something that you say maybe down the road or I mean, what, what is going through your mind? Yeah, I have to say, no, it's not on my, uh, on my horizons. Um, I really enjoy building things and having something at the end of the day that I've made with my hands. Um, when, it's funny when you asked if I miss it, uh, the only thing I really miss is, uh, the crew members, you know, like, it's kind of like, you know, your, your, your high school friends, you know, we, we, I see them from time to time here and there, but you know, I just really enjoyed that process of, of, you know, making something that we were proud of, uh, but making it with, you know, that, that large group of people. And I tend to find myself in other situations like that, where I'm getting to collaborate with a lot of really fun people to, to make something big happen. So, I'm, you know, that's what, that's what I like doing. What didn't necessarily, and it just popped in my mind, as a kid, what was it like to have your real parents who were on set and then set parents? Was it, I mean, you're seven, so it's not like you're three, but was it sort of weird? Like, it, it's got to be weird because you have two people, two sets of people who really care about you, which a lot of kids don't have any any that care about them. I mean, how did how did you handle that? It must have been just an odd. Every day must, just must have felt really low. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, uh, the the um, Tim and Pat, um, the you know the, the actors that played my parents were were they're careful. They didn't want to step on toes and get too you know be too parent. They had their own kids too. Um, but you know, like the first AD, Sean Shea, she was very much like a mother to me in a lot of ways. It could be kind of um, sometimes it's difficult because you had just have so many people in charge, and sometimes there's you know you're getting different. Uh, you know, different adults are asking to do different things. Sometimes they can be contrary. You know, you got to 
you know, go up the chain of command to figure right. it out sometimes. But uh, uh, no, I mean, that's what was really, I didn't understand it as a kid, but looking back on how, what I was really thankful of is that, you know, I had all these adults around me that really did care for me. I mean, the the craft service man was an amazing, amazing, you know, pseudo parent to me sometimes. He was a, you know, really loving guy. And you know, I got to learn chess from the grips and, you know, like it was a, it's a, it was a great, great community. We have a few minutes left. Um, now, what would be some uh, parting words and advice? And I want, I want to give all your social media stuff, but what would be some advice you would give to parents out there and why should they go buy your book? Well, I think that uh, if they have a child that's interested in performing, they really need to, first of all, decide, is their child right for this business? I mean, it's it's a business. It's it's entertainment business, and you've got to remember that. So you've got to look at your child and make sure that they're outgoing and they're intelligent and that they can memorize things and they can handle rejection. And, and, and you know, if, they're, if they are like that and you think they can handle it, then I think it's... The, I would just say do as much as you can to get prepared for it. Read, I mean, my, my book is wonderful as far as help for you, but there's other things too. You can talk to other parents that are, you know, have kids in the business and just get, get prepared. Just be sure that you, when you walk into there, you know what you're getting into and what your child is going to be getting into. And then it can be a wonderful, exciting experience for everybody. And what would your advice be for any child who wants to follow the stream and they want to be an actor? Um, take Fountain. It's uh, it's between Santa Monica and Sunset. It's, yeah, uh, it's I the, love Fountain. I, I, I sort of found, is that the? I mean, that's funny, but it's so great because there's never traffic except later at night. They always park on the right, so you have to watch because there's always some idiot who tries to cut you off at the light when you're making exactly. a left. <laughs> and now, uh, now, what's your what's your web? Now, do you tweet? Are you do either of you guys tweet? Are you tweeters? Do you tweet? <laughs> Unfortunately, I don't, and, and he doesn't. I always thought, thought he would be able to help me, and he doesn't, and neither does my daughter. So tweeting is kind of um, a new thing to me. I'm learning. I'm trying to learn, and I'm getting someone that can help me. I'm on, I'm on Facebook. I use Facebook. And me too, Facebook. Now, now, are you Facebook? Are you just, are, is it a fan page, or will you talk to people? Like, let's say someone wanted to get advice from you. Will you reply to them if they send you a message? Well, I have Stardom Happens Facebook page, and they, okay. can, they can. And then I have my Facebook, I mean, I, then I have my um, my website, stardomhappens.com. Uh, so they can put questions there, or they can go on the fa- Stardom Happens Facebook uh, page and do it. And uh, and I'm and I'm learning. I will get there to tweet pretty soon. <laughs> Twitter's it. fun. I I, yeah. I tweet jokes sometimes. I don't. I, I should use Twitter more. I have a lot of followers, but I don't. I don't. It's fun, but then sometimes you know you get you get upset if you tweet something and no one retweets it, and you're like, oh, well, that was funny, or you know, no one favors <laughs> it. It's all the insecurities we go through. <laughs> and so now now you have the Burning Man coming up, and then what are the other festivals you're going to be doing? Um, I'm be uh, having my floating art gallery called the Fairweather Gallery at the Symbiosis Festival. That uh, starts September 17th. And where's that? It's uh, Northern California um, along a Woodward Reservoir. It's a festival on a lake. So it's, That's cool. They'll have, uh, said... Art boats. Just like Burning Man has art cars this year, they'll have lots of art boats and floating destinations like my gallery. And I know you guys are going to be in the Mary Lou Hunter Show Friday, I believe. We've we've already done. Yes, it's been. Oh, it's did. Oh, God. I looked at your website. I'm so sorry. My head's. I For some reason, I think today's the 14th. Today's the 18th. What, I don't <laughs> yes. even know what today is. I, it's just, it was the airport run. I'm telling you, it just it threw me off. <laughs> oh, so sorry. it's crazy. So people, you have to go to a, a Stardom Happens. Uh, go buy the book. Uh, it's also on Amazon, right? It's Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Powell, Indie. I mean, it's all over the place now. You can and get it anyway. They can contact you through the website. Yes. And you, they can ask you questions. And yes. You give them a little insight, but don't give them too much because you want them to buy the book. <laughs> yes. Please buy the book first. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> I want to thank you guys so much. Candy Benici. I, I pronounced it right, right? Benici, yeah. Benici. Oh, my, my Italian girlfriend's going to be pissed that I, they said it wrong. And uh, Taryn, thank you guys for coming on. So people, go to the website, stardomhappens.com. Also, follow me on Twitter, at Cooper Talk. That's at Cooper Talk. Uh, go to my website, coopertalk.net. I have over 410 episodes up there, where you can also email me, cooper at coopertalk.net. iTunes, Stitcher, type in one word, Cooper Talk, and you'll find my shows there. If you have an Android device, go to the Google Play Store. I have a Cooper Talk app. It's free. You can get it there. And also, my other project, you guys have to sit there and go buy. Uh, go to the website, stopthesalt.com. You remember when I had my heart problem three years ago? Well, what did I do? I changed my whole diet. I had to eat the low-sodium diet, and there's recipes that are great for you guys. You have to be healthy, especially if you're getting older. And what happens is it's not one of those cookbooks that's going to scare you. There's no pictures. You won't be intimidated. There's no long list of ingredients. I'm not going to say go get cumin. Even though I do have cumin in my house because I've learned how to cook it, but you can learn to cook. It's 120 recipes broken up into pastas, uh, sandwiches, salads, and dinners. Go check it out. 
buy it at StopTheSalt.com. You can buy it at Amazon or BarnesandNoble.com. But if you buy it from StopTheSalt.com, I will, one, I will sign it, and two, I make more money. And isn't it all about the money? So anyway, please go check out Stardom Happens. Uh, it's a great book, especially if you want your child to get into the business. She knows she's been there. You've been there, and you know exactly what's going on. And follow me at Cooper Talk. Remember, I'm Steve Cooper. I'm only as hip as my guest. Don't forget, drink your water, eat your vegetables, take your vitamins. I will talk to you guys next week.